Good morning. My name's Erin, and firstly, we'll be reading from Ezekiel 37, verses 1 to 14, and then Romans chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. He asked me, Son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, Dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded, and I was prophesying there. As I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, This is what I, the sovereign Lord, says. O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. I will put my spirit in you and you will live, and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. And from Romans 6. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus were baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. If we have been united with him like this in death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we would believe that we would also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. 
For your sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Thanks, Erin. Well, good morning again, everyone. And uh, let me just add my uh, welcome to Craig's too. If you're new or you're visiting us this morning, um, really special welcome to you. Great to have you along and uh, be part of our church family here this morning. Uh, Why don't we pray as we get into God's word? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this gathering this morning. And Father, we pray you'd bless our time and open our minds to your words. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I thought I'd start this morning just by asking you a question. It's got to do with the picture that's up here. We do have slides, actually, for the the message. So this is good news. Um, I wonder if you'd heard of Healthy Harold. He's very, very big in New South Wales, where uh, we spent sort of 10 years a little while ago. Very well known. He's a giraffe puppet. This is him here. He travels around to schools with his human operator in a big van, like this van here. And um, what Harold and uh, this uh, lady who operates Harold does is come into different schools across New South Wales, and he, uh, t- they teach about healthy living. So, you know, what are the right foods to eat and... Um, what are the, the damage that smoking can cause, for example, things like that. And the kids get to ask questions of Healthy Harold and they have to put their hand up like this because it looks like a giraffe. And uh, my kids were telling me this story at their primary school. Healthy Harold turned up in his van and uh, they learned all about these good habits, you know, diets and good habits, bad habits. And then uh, class finished and it was recess. And uh, Healthy Harold, or at least the lady who'd been playing Healthy Harold, was caught behind the big van there lighting up a couple of cigarettes, having a smoko break. Now I was thinking it'd be interesting their next class, wouldn't it? Back in there with Healthy Harold. There you go, kids. That's how to be healthy. Any questions? Yes? Were they healthy cigarettes you were smoking? It's a little bit uh, absurd, really, isn't it? See, Harold here, he... Healthy Harold really wasn't living out what was represented in that example. You know, Harold, he's supposed to be a healthy giraffe. Like you get it all in the name, don't you? Healthy Harold. He's supposed to be healthy. But the behavior there didn't match. And I think it's a useful illustration for today in in Romans chapter 6. Because uh, in that passage that Erin just read out for us, what we've heard is the Apostle Paul who wrote that letter to the Romans. We heard the Apostle Paul implore his readers, you know, to live out what you are. Live it out. You are followers of Jesus who are dead to sin and you are alive to God. And if you remember the last couple of weeks where we've been uh, talking our way through chapter 5, we heard about the confidence that we have and being brought to peace with God, this eternal life that's given through Uh, given by God through his son through the man Jesus Christ he solved this problem of sin that's been in the world ever since Adam and then today in chapter 6 we're hearing about some of the implications of that what does it mean to this life right now and actually it's to be living the new life in Christ that's the thrust of chapter 6 living the new life in Christ Or in other words, be what you already are, unlike Harold. Be what you already are. Live out that identity that you have because of what Jesus has already done for you. 
So let's take a look at that. We'll uh, cover that initially, three points, but our first point, we are dead to sin. So first point, we are dead to sin. So those who have faith in Christ, they're dead to sin. And it makes a massive difference to the way they live their life uh, right now, uh, here today. At the end of chapter 5, we're quite clear that God's grace is abundant. We are swimming in God's grace. It's far more than sufficient to deal with our sin. And so at the beginning here of chapter 6, the Apostle Paul, he asked this rhetorical question. Well, why not just keep sinning then if something so good comes from it? Why not just keep doing that? And he answers his own question by saying, well, obviously not. It's like, you know, banging my head against a brick wall and doing it over and over because the medical treatment's so good. You know, you wouldn't do that. Uh, And neither, says Paul, uh, would we continue to sin because of grace. And he goes on to flesh that out and and explain that. He says here in verse 3, those who are baptized into Jesus are baptized into his death. So what does he mean by that? Well, baptism is a sign, isn't it? It's a symbol of being washed clean of sin through faith in Jesus. And so here, Paul's saying, if you've come to Jesus in faith, well, you've shared in his death in a way, haven't you? It's his death that dealt with your sin. And so actually, you've died to sin in God's eyes. So in that way, God doesn't see you as sinful anymore. You've died to sin. And there in verse 4 on the screen, those who've died to sin in God's eyes may live a new life. Now, in this particular case, he's not pointing forward to the resurrected life. And we know that the resurrection of Jesus, it proves that there's a resurrection for all believers, a new life in that way. But this verse isn't pointing to that. This is talking about a participation now in that new life living a new life that reflects what we've become through faith, sinless in God's eyes, conducting ourselves in a way that demonstrates and shows that we are actually dead to sin. And the next couple of verses here, verses 5 to 7, they explain it a bit more. They say, For if we've been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So I wonder if you can see here that being seen as sinless by God, it has two effects here, doesn't it? There's two effects. We'll be resurrected to new life in the future, just like Jesus was. We'll follow him into that. But secondly, we're no longer slaves to sin right now. No longer slaves to sin. So if you're not with Jesus, then sin does still rule. It must. As we heard last week, only Jesus deals with that problem. So without Jesus, sin isn't dealt with, then sin rules in that case. It will have its way. But if by faith we're with Jesus, then we are sinless in God's eyes we will be raised to life again that means death isn't the final word it's not the last word and it doesn't rule us anymore and so nor does sin we've been freed from sin and so knowing that we're free knowing that then we try to live like we're free 
not live like we're slaves, conducting our lives in a way that shows that we are dead to sin. And by doing that, can you see we participate in that future resurrected life? We participate in that now. And I know some of us might struggle with some of those things that we've just talked through. You might be thinking, you know, if I'm not living that new life, if I'm not conducting myself like I am dead to sin, if I'm not doing that all the time, well, maybe I'm not a Christian. Maybe I'm a very bad Christian. You might be sitting there thinking of all the times that you haven't lived that way. If that is you, then... Let's take a look here at verse 4 again. Verse 4. And I've highlighted that word there, may. See, it says, may live a new life. And the way that that verse is written, the word may, it means it's a potential. We may live a new life. It doesn't say we always will live a new life. We may live a new life. We'll still feel the pull of sin. We'll still mess up. But it doesn't cancel us as Christians. It just means we're like every other Christian and a work in progress. We are dead to sin. And we may live a new life now. And in many respects, we do. We will do as we keep working at it. But it's may, not always. And so it's a struggle. And we're going to come back and look at the struggle later on in our final point where the Apostle Paul directly talks about that struggle so it's may not always as we continue to focus and keep working at it and it's a struggle so that's the first point we're dead to sin well the opposite of being dead obviously is to be alive Uh, and actually being dead to sin uh, means it does mean that we are alive to god that's our second point we're alive to god now, I was talking to a, um, a minister uh, many years ago now who was a guy, um, I don't know, probably in his late 50s. He'd been um, in ministry many, many years and he'd spent a lot of his time in the country and some really remote parts of Australia. Really great guy, really straight talker. And I remember um, talking to him about the time in my life before I became a Christian, just sort of reminiscing about that. And I was saying, you know, before I came to trust Jesus, I had no interest in the Bible no interest, of course, in Jesus or in God. And I just, I couldn't see the truth. You know, I couldn't see what was actually true. And I remember as I was sort of reminiscing with him about this, just sort of shaking my head, just wondering, you know, why? Why is that? Why couldn't I see it back then? And he looked at me and he said, that's because you were dead, mate. It's pretty blunt. But it got me thinking, you know, and it's true. You know, all those years that I didn't have a faith, hadn't placed my faith in Jesus, sin still reigned over me. I was dead. Just a disturbing picture, really, when you think about that, the walking dead. But that's what we are until we're given new life in Jesus. And verses 8 to 10 talk about that. They say this. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. 
See, Jesus' work on the cross, that defeated death once and for all. It's done with. He can't die again. He now lives to God. There's this life that's secure and it's beyond death's reach. This is the picture that's being painted. And so if we've died to sin, if we've died, so to speak, with Christ through faith, we have a secure life beyond death's reach as well. And it's not something that's just in the future. And verse 11 makes that clear when it says, In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. See, this is all about what to think now. If we have faith in Jesus, then we are no longer the walking dead. Rather than being dead, we're dead to sin. And so if God no longer sees our sin because of Jesus, then we will be raised to life again. So that means we're alive to God, doesn't it? It means we are alive to God. And not just alive to him, you know, on that day in the future, but we are alive to God right now. We are alive to God now. And so Paul says here to the believer, think of yourselves that way. You're dead to sin, but you're alive to God. So think of yourselves like that. That's the reality of the gospel. If we trust Jesus, it's, not, it's about being forgiven and, and saved to be with God forever. That's the gospel. But it's also about realizing that we're dead to sin now. And so we're alive to God right now. And so do we think that way? Do, do we think of ourselves that way? Because it makes a difference. You know, if you're dead to God, it doesn't really matter how you live, does it? You're dead anyway. But what if you're alive to him? What if you're alive to him now and alive to him in eternity? Because I think we often talk about being with God for eternity, don't we? That is the gospel. And it feels like something that's going to happen sort of next in the future. But these verses are saying something different to how we should think about that it starts actually once you come to faith in jesus from that moment you are dead to sin and alive to god and remain alive to god from from that point forever into all of eternity alive to god so we think of our lives that way and with that sort of continuity between now and then we think differently about the way we live our lives now When I think through that, it seems to me that my life then, it should match as much as possible, as closely as I can make it anyway, to my life now. And that's the thrust of the remaining verses in this passage, which is our final point. Live like you're alive. That's the final point. Live like you are alive. So if you're alive to God in Jesus and God sees you that way, then live like it. And these final verses that we've had read to us today from chapter 6, these are exhortations to live like that. Verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. The desire 
comes from within us, doesn't it? And it tempts us. It's not some sort of external force. It comes from in here, from our hearts. And sin follows desire. But Jesus won this victory for us so that we're alive to God. And so it matters how I deal with my desire. Called to challenge it. Called to fight it. Actually, I'm empowered to do that by what Jesus has done for me already. To resist that desire that leads, may lead to sinful behavior or sinful action. To resist it. And to avoid sinning. And to some of us, that might sound like, um, it's, you know, it's like telling a drowning person just to swim ashore and be saved. You know, that it can't be done. But to those that are in Jesus, death doesn't have the final word anymore. It no longer has the last word. It doesn't rule us. And nor does sin. We can resist it. We've been freed from it. And we're called to participate in what Jesus has done for us already. Which is not to say that it's easy. It's not. It's very hard. It's a war, actually. It's a war or it's a struggle. It's a battle that's going on inside our own mortal bodies. Which is what verse 13 addresses, where it says, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Now, the word that's used there for instrument can also mean weapon. It can also mean weapon. So we might say, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as a weapon of wickedness. Instead, offer every part of yourself to God as a weapon of righteousness. Every part. So that's every part of your body, your tongue, speech, thought, actions, every part of yourself. So you get this sense of this struggle or this war that's going on within our own mortal bodies, this long and difficult war with two sides, offering ourselves to sin by using our body as a weapon for wickedness or offering ourselves to God to use our body as a weapon for behavior that is pleasing to God. So perhaps as we engage in this battle, it might be helpful to ask ourselves a question when we feel a desire or certain desires, whatever it might be, whatever it is, maybe ask, what behavior might lead on from this desire? Would it be pleasing to God? Is it worthy of one who offers themselves totally to God? Now, if you're here this morning and you have placed your faith in Jesus, you might be listening to this and you might be thinking, this is just flogging me here. Maybe you're recounting in your mind all the battles that you've lost. And we will lose battles. But it doesn't mean we've lost the war. The American Civil War uh, in the Union Army, there was a, a general by the name of Ulysses Grant, and he said this. In every battle there comes a time when both sides consider themselves beaten. Then he who continues the attack wins. So continue attacking. Yes, it's a struggle and the battle will rage for the rest of our lives until we're perfected and we're with him. But keep attacking. And maybe it's a little bit like um, 
the D-Day landings in the Second World War. If you remember uh, the detail about those, D-Day was the uh, Allies landing at Normandy in 1944 and it really marked the end of the war, didn't it? They landed, they turned the Nazis back and really that was the turning point. At that point, the war was won. But the war didn't actually end until 1945, until VE Day, victory in Europe. But the war was won back in 1944. There were just still more battles to be fought. And perhaps it's a bit like that with us and with sin. Remember, while the battle rages within us, the war has already been won. And verse 14 tells us that again. Sin shall no longer be your master because you're not under the law, but under grace. See, sin is no longer the master of anyone who's in Christ Jesus. Yes, the battle rages on and we must do our part to fight. But be very, very confident that the war's been won for us already. And Christ's victory, his victory there is the ground for our strength to fight. Sin's not our master and we cannot lose in the end. Because we're not under the law. The law of Moses shows guilt and condemns but grace forgiveness and life was brought by jesus and made us alive to god he brought victory and he gave it to us and perhaps you're sitting there and you might be like i was years ago and you don't know jesus yet and maybe if you were having a conversation with that same country minister that i mentioned earlier he might say it's because you're dead mate If that's you, find out what it means to be made alive. Like I said last week, read or listen to one of the biographies of Jesus. The Gospel of Mark is a good place to start. But find out about that guy who died to sin for us and ask him to make you alive to God. I remember the morning I did that, where I prayed that prayer, and I will never forget it. If you want to hear the story, I'll put my number up here on the screen. Send me a text. Message me and I'll buy you a coffee. And I'll happily tell you about it. And even if I talk too much, you'll get a decent coffee. But you might get a lot more than that. Take a look at being made alive to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for giving your son to make us dead to sin through faith in him. And we give you thanks for your grace and seeing us as alive through what Jesus has done for us. And Father, we ask that you'd help us to wage battle against sinful desire and offer ourselves to you as instruments of righteousness, confident that we can't lose since you've forgiven everything through him. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.